Shabbat Shalom. Welcome. Let us turn to scroll four of Yechezkel, Ezekiel today. It's only 17 verses in the Masoretic text, and it comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 1. But it is, in fact, scroll four of Ezekiel and the revelation of the 13 scrolls. In the 10th year, in the 10th month, on, on the 12th day of the month, 10, 12, 10, in the American way of doing things. Now, as we delve into scroll 4, we're going to examine Egypt, Mitzrayim in the Hebrew, Egypt and its role in Judah's history. And we're going to see Egypt, and we all know that Egypt is a metaphor for the world, right? So we're going to see Egypt, the world today, in comparison. Because the Bible isn't just some ancient historic document, but Yahuwah has preserved it for his people, the end time remnant, to aid us and equip us to live in a sick and decaying world. So the prophet is going to speak forward into our day because we're going to see Egypt, the world, today in comparison and going to find many. Many a prophetic warning, and you're going to see principles that Ezekiel spoke to the elders of Israel rolling all the way forward into your day and my day, because Ezekiel, he is sounding the alarm. That's what we do here at this ministry is sound the alarm to get right with Yahuwah in the word through discipleship. And if that means it's you by yourself in your house, then I did that for over a decade and Yahuwah rewarded me greatly. But at some point you have to come out from behind the bookshelf and um, start to... being able to reach more people. And now I'm able to do that. Praise Yahuwah. And you are as well. But also, also I know through many of the emails that I receive in from people that some of you out there are actually contending with strained relationships with it maybe being family members or folks that you work with or folks that you used to go to church with or fellowship with, or even maybe in your workplace, how you have to interact with Egypt, with the world. How do you do that? And that many of you have contacted me and that you've been stretched. How do you live your faith? How do you contend in an ever hostile world? Well, the prophet's going to address that because we're going to learn from Ezekiel some character traits to be aware of when you're contending for the very faith that has once been delivered to the saints. Many of you don't realize it, but you're contending with a great spiritual sea monster, the sea monster of the Nile. And I'm going to give you some tips today to help you to be the overcomers that you need to be. Because when it comes pressing... When it comes pressing and starts to swim up your stream, how will you contend with Leviathan? How will you contend? Will you turn tail? Will you compromise? Will you pander? Or will you continue to walk what you have been called to walk? 
This is something that we are all going to have to address, either now or in the future, because the Apostle Paul says that many will depart from the faith because of offenses in the last days. So we've got to learn to contend with Leviathan if we're going to see it through the great tribulation. In the 10th year, in the 10th month, on the 12th day of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me saying, Ben-Adam, son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, Melech of Mitzrayim, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him, against all of Mitzrayim. Prophesy against the whole of Egypt. Going back to our text and the history of our text, we know that Nebuchadnezzar waged a campaign against Pharaoh Necho during Jehoiakim's reign. You have two of the greatest world powers waging war against one another. Two of the greatest historical world powers, Babylon and Egypt, waging war against one another. But prophetically, we can view here how there will be countries in the end of days contending with one another. How will they be contending with one another? They will be contending with one another against other countries that have forged alliances with one another. All the while, the two greatest world powers will be on the very verge of war. Is that true today? I ask you. Because Egypt is in fact the most important country to the United States outside of NATO. We all know that NATO means the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and its members. NATO was formed right after World War II. When the European countries all of a sudden, General Patton of course, went over to Germany... And he said, I think we fought against the wrong people. When he saw the Soviet threat, and he was actually killed, assassinated, General Patton, broke his neck in a car accident. You can research that in your own time. But Patton went over to post-World War Germany, and he saw what the Soviets had done. He saw the women that were ravished that were hanging from trees, that had slit their wrists because they would rather have died than be violated by the oncoming Soviet threat, where villages and villages of Germans were decimated by the Soviets. And Patton saw what Hitler was up against, and he saw the threat. And when the rest of the European countries saw it, they thought, we've got to figure out something. So they came up with NATO, a treaty of countries that made a treaty together that they would protect one another, that they would come to the aid of one another because of the threat of, of course, the Soviets. That's the foundation of NATO, of course, built in 1949. So nowadays post the USSR, what on earth is the use of NATO? Of course, President Trump 
is asking those very questions this very week. What is the purpose of NATO? Specifically, what is the purpose of NATO when countries like Germany are double dealing with the Russians and they subside basically upon Russian oil and gas? And they're making all of these double deals with the Russians, yet not allowing the Russians in NATO, because NATO, of course, is a very, its origins, anti-Russian. So a lot of these alliances, our current president is questioning, questioning why America would fund 70 to 90 percent of really a European organization that doesn't benefit America whatsoever, because we don't need to hold back the Soviets, because in fact, communism has taken over the West and it took over the West a long time ago at Woodstock, our universities, and now those, of course, have graduated from Woodstock and find themselves in the halls of power in Washington, D.C., if you're tracking with me. So all that to say this, what Ezekiel is talking about with Egypt, the world, and Babylon, and the alliances, has got everything to do with our day to day, which is why it is so important that we pay attention to the prophet as he unravels the revelation of the 13 scrolls. And we're only in scroll four. Ezekiel's warnings over forged alliances and countries contending with one another pale in comparison with what we're actually seeing today at NATO unravels before our very eyes. Those of you that have been paying attention in the news this week, Egypt in verse 2 actually is referred to in the feminine gender. I mean, today, talking about the feminine gender in the world and Egypt, it, it's, it's dangerous to be an Anglo-Saxon white male in the world today with all the feminist agenda and the Me Too movement. I mean, you could be slapped silly for giving up your chair on a bus. You could be slapped silly for opening a door for a woman. You just don't know how it's going to go, especially with the Antifa feminist movement. I mean, it's dangerous out there. You just don't know. Chivalry is dead. I mean, it, the world has changed. It is crazy out there. Just looking at Egypt in the feminine gender. What is our world coming to? Men just don't even know how to navigate it anymore. The Nile River, of course, is a metaphor for the country and the great sea monster as a metaphor for Pharaoh. And the fish of the river, a metaphor for the people. The people of Egypt. Look at verse 3. Speak and say, this says the master Yahuwah. See, I am against you, Pharaoh, Melech of Mitzrayim, king of Egypt. The great, here in the Hebrew, Tanaim, sometimes translated as dragon. It's spelled in the Hebrew, Tav, Nun, Yod, and it finishes with the Mem Sophit, the closed Mem. That Tanaim, that dragon, that sea monster that lies in the midst of the rivers, which has said, my river is my own and I have made it for myself. The spiritual application is be very careful of the sea monster that lies in the midst of you. It'll lie in the midst of you, but it will always try and make its own river. 
Be very careful of that because we're contending for the faith. And in the last days, many will depart from the faith because of what? Because of offenses. Be very wary. We're all being tested. We're all being tried. Will we be overcomers? Just as in the days of Pharaoh, where self-reliance was the modus operandi, we find ourselves today confronted with the same type of culture and society, don't we? People, they feel so secure and confident that they fear nothing. When I first got saved, when I was 24... Yahweh used mountain climbing in my life as a tool in discipleship because I needed to, he needed to get me out of the world and get me dependent upon him. But I had been so consumed and saturated in the world that I had, I had no fear I had no perception of reality on just how fragile out every weekend up into the mountains and had me hanging on precipices out in zero degree weather on 55 degree slopes with no ropes, literally, and I was terrified. But I continued to do it, continued to do it. And I would come home oftentimes on Sunday night in tears and broken. I mean, my wife will tell you, literally in tears and broken, because I saw just how fragile life was. Elevation will do that to you. Gravity will do that to you. If you get some elevation and you see the effects of gravity, you realize just how false and fabricated the world that we have created around us. The world that we have created of concrete and systematic structure of mankind is there to make us feel independent of the Creator. Get out with some elevation. Get out in the elements. Strip it all away and have your life on the edge of a cliff. And I guess, I, I, I guarantee that you'll be thinking about other things other than yourself. You'll be wondering about this awesome creation. It says in Romans that he's manifest his glory in his creation. So all that to say this, the Egyptians felt so secure with the monoth of all of the architecture that they had developed with all of the idols that they surrounded themselves the dependency that they had on the Nile the Nile provided them everything it gave them food it watered their crops it provided them water it was irrigation it was used for building they used the the Nile was a economic resource to them that was endless what do you think they thought when Yahweh turned that Nile to blood? Why did he do it? So that they would look upward. Instead of looking to Pharaoh, they would realize that their source was not the gods of Egypt, but it was yod Hey wah Yahweh. People feel so secure and confident and they fear nothing. It's harder and far harder. It truly is. 
to find people in our daily commute that depend upon Yahweh. Today we're confronted with a culture oblivious to the Creator. A culture that worships the Nile. Well, people actually worship the Amazon more than the Nile, don't they? Just one click and you can get everything you want delivered to your door. They're the idols, well, Hollywood's our idolatry, right? Full of idols. People worship Amazon, shopping, e-commerce, and their idolatry is Hollywood. It's no different than Egypt. Our nations feel a sense of self-reliance. All the while, the globalists are chipping away at that very self-reliance behind the scenes. So that eventually the nations will turn to the globalists as the gods, the saviors, when the grain runs out, when industry and infrastructure fails. People don't realize that. Egypt, the world, has no need for providence in their own eyes. They had an inexhaustible supply of water, which was always at that disposal. But what happens when that runs out? We cannot rely on the world. Only repentance can save us. Only repentance can save us. In Egypt, it was hard to feel the need for Yahuwah's constant goodwill when the Nile opened its seven mouths into the sea, out of which all of the canals made to water the whole land where this sea monster, Pharaoh, is viewed as lying at ease. He's just lying at ease, rolling himself in the enjoyment of his power his riches, the pleasures, the renown. In fact, he was so renowned for his cruel and voracious, mischievous nature toward all and any who encroached his banks. Verse 4, I will put hooks in your jaws and I will cause the fish of your rivers to stick to your scales and I will bring you up out of the midst of the rivers and all the fish of your rivers shall cling to your scales and I will leave you thrown into the wilderness you and all the fish of your rivers you shall fall upon the open fields You shall not be brought together nor gathered. I have given you for food to the beasts of the field and to the fowls of the air. Think about it. This was the great sea monster that Yahweh is judging as Yahweh will judge the globalists in our day that inspire the nations to go to war with all their mighty men so that they should all fail along with all the princes, the horsemen and the poor of the population. They'll all perish in the end. All brought up out of the rivers of commerce to fight pointless bankrupting wars in dry desert lands, just like the Egyptians. Look at the three wars that Pharaoh fought. Three wars, that was it, and then he was done. The first one, Nebuchadnezzar defeated Pharaoh during the reign of Jehoiachin. You'll find that in 2 Kings chapter 24. The second war that Pharaoh fought Nebuchadnezzar defeated Pharaoh again during the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Jeremiah chapter 46 describes that. And the third war that Pharaoh thought, 
Nebuchadnezzar defeated Pharaoh when the Chaldeans had besieged Jerusalem. Jeremiah tells us that in the 37th chapter. Three wars and Pharaoh was done. Three wars exhausted the resources of the country. Those wars were fought in foreign lands and they made the great sea monster come out of the waters where all of his comfort and resources were. He drug out fish that were stuck to his scales. All of his mighty men. What's the prophet saying? He's speaking to you and I today and he's giving us the same what? Don't you see? Just like the ancient sea monster, today's worldly power, the United States of America, America has been drugged out of its river of commerce by the hooks of the globalists. We used to be a prosperous nation. We used to be a nation that the world looked to. But then the globalists on the heels of the Second World War with the development of NATO and that communistic thinking that invaded our very country, they decided that they would take all of our resources, all of our infrastructure, and seize it for themselves. And how would they do that? Drag us out of our commerce, our rivers of manufacturing and industry, sell it to the Chinese, sell it to the communists, and get our mighty men and our horsemen stuck on the back of the sea monster, the king, the president, and get us into foreign wars. How many? How many did Pharaoh get into before he was absolutely done? Three. First one, we were worn down in Vietnam. The second one, we were worn down in Iraq. Not once, but twice. The third one, we are worn down in Afghanistan. No longer do we have the stomach for unreduced war. No longer do we have the stomach for unreduced war. So we get worn down and drawn out in these seemingly endless wars that are pretty much mere political conflicts, aren't they? Mere political conflicts. And after all this war, Nebuchadnezzar repeatedly came into Egyptian territory. He actually went into Egyptian territory and he defeated the Egyptians even in their own territory. And likewise today, after being worn down in Vietnam, Iraq twice, and Afghanistan, what do we find? We find that we are being defeated now within our own territory. The borders, Islam, communism, Antifa, it's all within our own territory. There is nothing new under the sun. And because you and I have a biblical worldview, we can see it coming before it comes because the Bible is true and every man is a liar. I would rather read the word of Yahuwah that is truth than all the paraphernalia, propaganda and news from men which is not true. This is the truth. I'll get my news here. Thank you. It's amazing because after now we have been worn down by three wars against communism and Islam, we find ourselves with those wars coming into our own territory. Islam 
and communism crossing our borders and raining havoc on an unsuspecting and ill-equipped society overtaken by its own gods and self-delusion. Look at verse 6. I'm only in verse 6. I thought, well, this is 17 verses. We'll get through this in no time. Maybe not. And all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am Yahweh because they have been a staff of reed. Oh, I love this. They have been, a, listen to this, a staff of reed to the house of Israel. When they, sh- when they took hold of you by the hand and you did break them and you tore all their shoulders and when they leaned upon you, you broke them and made all their parts to shake. What on earth is he talking about? Being lulled into a false sense of security by promising Israel help. Egypt had lulled them into a false sense of security and encouraged Israel to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. That's what happened. Israel relied upon the world and it depended upon the world and the world lulled it into a full sense of security that Israel actually ended up rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar and today we find ourselves in the same thing America promises the Zionist state of Israel help more help financially than any other nation lulling itself into a full sense of economic security Egypt, the world, has lulled so many a believer into a false sense of security, whether it's physical, material, or emotional. <coughs> excuse me. Believers, excuse me. Believers are suffering from a secular worldview. Instead of turning to Yahweh for a biblical worldview reality check. And when I start teaching this stuff, people are like, well, that's a bit strong, isn't it? It's a bit heavy-handed. It's not that bad. Really? Medicare? Social Security? 401k? Wall Street? The rapture? You've all gone berserk. You're depending upon that stuff? Really? Wow. Either your hand will be pierced or you repent and turn to the master whose hands were pierced for you. But somebody's hands are going to be pierced because you can't lean upon a fragile reed and expect it to support you. What happens when you lean on a fragile reed? It will pierce your hands and then you'll slip and it'll pierce your very shoulder. That's what Yahweh was saying. The world will let you down. If you expect the world to take care of you in your old age and retirement, you will be sadly disappointed. If you expect your 401k to be there for you, Medicare and Social Security, you will be sadly disappointed because the world will pierce your hand, you'll fall and pierce your shoulder and you'll end up with nothing. Because that's the way of the world. Big promises, but it doesn't deliver or it delivers small in part. Egypt is... The world is a splintered reed. And the moment people wake up and realize that, the better. 
The world is a splintered reed. It'll give you no support when you really need it. It'll even pierce the hand and shoulder of the person who attempts to lean on it. Take it from a man who used to lean on the world. And I had everything when I was younger that the world would look at. I came over to America when I was 19 with a trust fund. I didn't need anybody. I had the world. I had money. I had youth. I had a career. I had it all. I even got low-income housing. And free Medicare. Because I knew how to work the system. And you know what? I lent on the world and all it did was let me down. It was lies. It was fallacy. It was disease and disorder. I'm glad that I learned at a young age. Some of you never had to go through what I had to go through. But at least now I have a testimony and a witness, just like Solomon did. Don't be a victim like ancient Israel, clutching a reed which breaks. The result being you're falling into its splintered remains, which pierce your very shoulder. If you look to the world, not only will it fail you, Not only will it fail you, not only will it fail to give you support when you really need it, it'll actually injure you. It really will. Because it's nothing but a soft reed. Yahweh is asking us to turn from the world and turn toward him to seek his face. I had a young person in my office this week and, and was in tears saying well I, I prayed to God and I haven't prayed to God in years and I prayed to God that he would come and he would be here at school with me and he abandoned me and he's not here I said that's not true I said John the Baptist said repent And the kingdom of heaven is right there for you. I said, you've been walking away all your life. And then you you, you do one prayer and you expect everything. Did you confess your sins? No. Did you repent after you'd confessed your sins? Which means you turn from walking away and you turn back. Because if you confess your sins, and then if you repent and turn around, you'll see the Father right there. I said, have you ever heard the account of the prodigal son? The person was like, no. I said, sit down. I'll tell you a story. I told him the story of my version of it. See, sometimes people just need to hear the true message. God didn't put disease on your father. God didn't abandon you. You walked away and you have not yet confessed your sins and repented. And when you do what is right, you'll find him right there waiting for you. Because he's always been there waiting for you. If he was there waiting for me, he's there waiting for you. But the difference is, it's not just some loose, sloppy, agape prayer. It is repent. For the kingdom of Yahweh is at hand. Repent, you filthy sinners. And if you don't repent 
and you don't confess your sin, then how can you expect the Father's face to shine upon you when you've turned and set your face against Him? He's not a dictator. He is not going to force you to turn around. You have got to turn around and face responsibility. That's the true message. So anyway, all that to say this, verse 8. Therefore, this says the master Yahweh, see I bring a sword upon you and cut off man and beast from you and the land of Egypt shall be desolate and ruined and they shall know. (sighs) They shall know that I am Yahweh. In all the ebbs and flows of life, I know that he is Yahweh. And I know his son so intimately. I know what he smells like. I know the fragrance of his garments. So no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, I know what I know. Because I have tasted. And I will always go back to what I know. Oh, I go to the left and I, and I, and I sometimes make mistakes. As just a few of you know. But... We've got to know him. And it's got to be deep. It's got to be so deep. Because I'm not going to be affected by some splintered reed. Some splintered reed. And I look at the youth and how they're dependent upon the splintered reed. And they don't know that the wounds that are coming their way, the offenses that they will not be able to get over. Because the world does not equip you for offenses. It just equips you to get wounded and hurt. Yahweh has said, the river is mine. And I have made it. Verse 10, see, therefore I am against you. I'm against your river. You don't want Yahweh to be against you. You do not want Yahweh to be against you. So make sure you're walking in the way. Not your way, but the way. See, therefore, I am against you. I am against your rivers. I will make the land of Egypt utterly wasted and desolate from the tower of Swenair even to the border of Ethiopia. No foot of man shall pass through it. No foot of beast shall pass through it. And neither shall it be inhabited. How long? Forty years. Now, here's a teaching. In itself. Joseph predicted how many years of famine? Remember that? Huh? Seven. How many times did he talk about that? Remember, yeah, he had a dream and he went to Pharaoh. Seven years, but it was seven years... It was two different dreams, wasn't it? Each was seven years, right? That's 14. And he went to Pharaoh, there's once. Then he told the dream again to Joseph. He told the dream when he told the dream there. And then Joseph repeated the dream, didn't he? For interpretation. Joseph predicted a 42-year famine. That's the reality that Ezekiel is talking about. And neither shall it be inhabited 40 years. Because Joseph had predicted a 42-year famine. Pharaoh had two dreams. 
One concerning the cows and the other concerning the sheaves. Each predicted a seven-year famine. We encounter these dreams three times. When Pharaoh dreamed, when Pharaoh told the dream to Joseph, and then when Joseph repeated them for the purpose of interpretation. Three times repeated 14 years. Two dreams of seven equals 42 years. 14 times three, 42. Some of you are checking my crazy math here, right? But that's what we've got. But how many years were the famine actually in Egypt? Only two years. So Yahweh was paying it forward. He's paying it forward right here. By his mercy, he withheld 40 years of famine because of the righteousness of Joseph. But now, because of the wickedness of Israel, he's paying that delayed 40 years and he's paying it forward right into the days of Judah and Ezekiel and, of course, Egypt right here. Isn't that amazing? Right here in our text, he's paying that additional 40 years that he covered with his mercy. Because if you're not walking with Yahuwah, he will withdraw that mercy and all of that wrath. It will come right forward on you. It will come right. You think you've been living right. You think that you've been being blessed. But the moment you step out of the blessing... It will all, all of your iniquitous past that he was holding back because of his mercy, it will be dumped on your doorstep today. That's a biblical maxim and people better wake up and realize it. I am against you. I am against your rivers and I will make you utterly wasted. And I will take that 40 years, that 40 years that I delayed in my mercy because of the righteousness of Joseph, which is a shadow picture of my son. And now because of your iniquity, I'm going to pay it all the way forward and it's going to land Egypt right on your doorstep. We encounter the wrath of Yahuwah. Yahweh is repaying Egypt the remaining 40 years in the present day of Ezekiel. And I will make the land of Egypt desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate. And her cities among the cities that are laid waste shall be desolate 40 years. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations. And I will disperse them through the countries. This says the master Yahweh, at the end of 40 years will I gather the Egyptians from the nations where they are scattered. And I will bring against the exile of Egypt and will cause them to return into the land of Pathros, into the land of their dwelling, and they shall be there a humble kingdom. And it shall be the humblest of kingdoms. Neither shall it exalt itself any more above the nations. For I will diminish them so that they shall no more rule over the nations. And it shall be no more the confidence of the house of Israel. Which brings their iniquity to my remembrance when they look to them. If you don't trust Yahuwah. 
then you trust another. The one who trusts someone other than Yahweh, for him, Yahweh will withhold his providence and forsake him for the one in whom he trusted. Who do you trust? You trust in yourself? You trust in your own way? Or do you trust in Yahweh? This is a serious admonition for being right with the Father. Because the way of the Egyptians, the way of the world, and the alliances that we see today with what's going on in NATO, it is very sobering. But now, let's delve into this spiritually and interrationally right here. Did I say racially or relationary? That is what I meant to say. Let's look at that sea creature, Leviathan, spelled Lamed Vav Yod Tav Nun. Leviathan, or sometimes comes up in the Hebrew as Tanaim, the fish marine monster, or that sea serpent, that old dragon. Tav Nun Yod Mem Sofit. Leviathan, a serpent, a crocodile, a sea monster. Because this Leviathan, it's really a spirit. It's the spirit or the Ruach of Leviathan or the Ruach of the Tanaim. In a nutshell, it's really a Ruach in opposition to being gathered. It's a Ruach in opposition to being gathered. When there's gathering, there must be order. There cannot be chaos. And there must be an acknowledging of that order and a patience as it begins to build and flow. But some people just don't have the patience for things to be allowed to happen in the order that Yahweh has created, not man. Because we want things done now. We want it. But as I have learned over the years, you have to be patient and do not despise small beginnings because if Yahweh's in it then you'll see the power and the magnitude of the gathering Leviathan is in opposition to that gathering he wants it now he wants it his way and if not he'll swim up another river Leviathan hides Yahweh's revelation and orchestrates miscommunication and offense by twisting words and relationships, making scales out of silk. Scales out of silk. Yahweh has called us all, all of us, those online and all of you here, he has called us into his priesthood, to be in covenant in preparation for the return from the exile and the end-time revelation of Messiah. We are a blessed chosen priesthood, but many of us will have to contend with Leviathan. We're going to have to contend with Leviathan. The Ruach of Leviathan, the spirit of Leviathan, manifests itself in certain behaviors and traits and will go on the attack and challenge your very faith. Your very faith. As the priesthood, by identifying and recognizing the spirit of Leviathan, will be able to guard ourselves and co-labor together 
as Yahweh's end-time remnant flock because he is planning on gathering us together at an amazing Sukkot this year. This ministry is committed to gathering, but on a big scale, a big scale. And it's miracles that we could never do the things that presently we are enabled to do if we had not encountered the things that we've encountered. It wouldn't have happened. Yahweh's plans are bigger than the plans of man. But he is ultimately, with or without us, he will gather his people. He will gather his people. And he'll use you. He'll use me. And the moment we step out of the blessing, he'll find somebody else. He will gather though. Because the prophecies say that he's going to gather in the whole house of Israel. And how he's going to do that is at the pilgrimage feasts. So we've got to have the big vision to enable us to really, really see. Leviathan is in opposition to that. In opposition to that in every, every way. We'll all come into the Malkit-Zedek revelation. All of us. But it's all going to take the timing of the Spirit to draw us into that revelation. Because we've made a covenant with Yahuwah. A covenant. When you're in covenant, you're in life. When you're out of covenant, you're in the realm of death. Leviathan, Leviathan refuses to make covenant. Leviathan, it just cannot make covenant. Leviathan cannot make covenant. In fact, the spirit of Leviathan that people manifest, I guarantee you, they have had more than one husband or more than one wife. Or there has been adultery in their relationships. I guarantee you, because covenant is foreign to them. They don't understand it. You can get healed of that if you confess and repent. We've all made mistakes. It's not saying if somebody's been divorced that they're forsaken forever. No. Yahweh divorced Israel. But he is regathering when Israel confesses and repents. And if you have gone through something in your life, maybe it wasn't your own fault. Say you're innocent. But then you still confess and repent of where you know you were wrong. And Yahweh will gather you too. And you will come into covenant. Covenant is the key, but Leviathan refuses to enter into covenant. Leviathan, in fact, the very spirit of Leviathan will try and gain access and come into your very midst. You can try and draw them out. You can try and draw Leviathan out of the river, try to expose Leviathan's agenda, but it's very, very crafty. But those captured by the Ruach of Leviathan are bound up so tight in their own agendas. Their agendas and the scales of their agenda are so tight that you can't look at the text. You can't even get a hook in. You can't even get a hook in to keep the mitzvot, the commandments. They might come into your midst and say, well, hang on. Let's go out for coffee and dinner afterwards. You're like, it's Sabbath. What? So they're not really actually, you can't actually get the commandments to hook into their life. I've seen it so many times. You're like, but it's Sabbath. But that, another thing, Leviathan loves to rise up and play sport 
or play with your emotions on the Sabbath, kindling a fire. What happened when they were at Baal Peor? They rose up to play. So oftentimes you'll have people who've got the spirit of Leviathan. They'll have gone and played sport before they come to Shabbat service. Or they'll leave Shabbat service or forsake Shabbat service to go watch sport or go play sport. Because you cannot hook the mitzvot in. They're not really keeping the Sabbath. It's here. They're not keeping it. We don't buy and sell and trade. And we don't go after our own desires on Yahuwah's day. It's his day. But Leviathan, you just can't hook in the commandments. You can't hook the mitzvot because their scales are so tight, the world has encased them. Does that make sense? I've seen it so many times, and this is spirit, and this is a spiritual application of the text and that great sea monster. You may see glimpses of light in their eyes, and you're like, oh, they're finally getting it. But you still quite can't quite hook the mitzvot. You can't quite hook the commandments in. Their words kindle coals of destruction. Thick-necked, stiff-necked people, children of pride, who go from congregation, bring the baggage into the next congregation, get wounded, go to the next congregation, get wounded. It's called a vagabond ruach. You see it all the time. It's that same Vagabond Ruach, Leviathan going from stream to stream to stream to see where it can finally get its agenda up on the beaches and draw its own crowd. Leviathan finds one thing it doesn't like, one thing, that's all it'll take, and Leviathan will hook onto it and it just won't let go. It's a spirit. A spirit of discord sown. You may say something. Just a negative word. You may say one thing and the person will literally hook onto it. And they just won't let go. Just refuse to let go because it's a spirit of discord that then begins to fester and grow. Job 3 verse 8. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Job 41 verse 1. Turn there. It's a long text, but it's good. <clears throat> Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Can you? There's no way. You can't hook in the mitzvot. You can't. You can't hook in the mitzvah. You can teach them about Sabbath till you're blue in the face and they'll still go out shopping after Sabbath or still go and play sports. You'll be like, didn't we just discuss that? Didn't we just go through those commandments? Or they'll be like, well, yeah, I really have to work. What? I used to work on Saturday. I had my own hair salon. Busiest day of the week. Self-employed. I closed my business down. Because the mitzvot got hooked into my life and it was conviction. And guess what the father did? I ended up on skid row. No. I opened up on Monday when... All of the other hair salons are closed, and I ended up earning 
double what I used to earn on the Sabbath because I was the only shop that was open on a Monday. Double blessing. You just got to walk in the faith and he will honor you and he will take you to a next season of blessing. I was terrified. 25 years of since I was 16, I've worked on Saturday. Most of my income came from that day. But the mitzvot have got to be a reality to your life. Not just here. You've got to live it. You've got to experience it. It's not lip service. It's life service. It's real. You can't hook in the commandments with Leviathan, though. It's a different fish. A different fish. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Canst thou put a rope into his nose or pierce his jaw through with a hook? Will he make any supplications unto thee? Will thou speak soft words unto thee? Oh, you bet. Will he make a covenant with thee? No. That thou shouldest take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? With the bands of fishermen make traffic of him? Will they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons and hooks? Or his head with fish spears? Lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle and do so now more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Will not one be cast down even at the sight of him? Job 41 verse 10. None is so fierce that he dare stir him up. People are afraid to challenge Leviathan for their behavior that is inappropriate. Inappropriate behavior. Will not one be cast down? None is so fierce that he can dare stir him up. Who then is he that can stand before me? Who hath first given unto me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs, nor his mighty strength, nor his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who shall come within his jaws? Who can open the doors of his face? Round about his teeth is terror. His strong scales are his pride. Shut up together as with a closed seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together so that they cannot be sundered. His sneezings flash forth light. You might see a little light in his eyes, but it goes away quickly. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches, and sparks of fire leap forth. One who sows discord among the brethren. In his neck abide a strength, that's thick-necked, stiff-neckedness. A terror dances before him, the flakes of his flesh are joined together, so tightly locked you can't hook in the commandments. 
They are mighty, they are afraid. By reason of consternation, they are beside themselves. If one lay at him with a sword, it cannot avail. Nor the spear, the dart, nor the pointed shaft. He counteth iron as a straw. And brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the rushing of the javelin. His underparts are like a sharp pot's herd. He spreadeth it as it were a threshing wain upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not his like that is made without fear. He beholdeth everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Yahweh has given us a lot of text about this mysterious sea monster. Why? Because there is a spiritual application for us in the last days. Because we cannot fall aside because of the offenses taken within the midst. Whether it's in your business place, your workplace, your family place, the people you fellowship with, you've got to deal and contend with Leviathan if you're going to finish well. Otherwise, you're going to end up with like Saul. Where instead of a javelin and a sword through you, you're going to end up leaning on that pierced reed that will go through the hand and the shoulder. That's what the prophet is saying. Now, does Leviathan like a head-on confrontation? Does he? Look at Leviathan. You know you're dealing with Leviathan because Leviathan refuses to panaim el panaim, face to face. Never will face to face you. Never will have a head-on confrontation. Do you know when you look at the ancient maps of the mariners? What did they used to have? What was the ancient mariner more afraid of than any? What's Moby Dick all about? It's about Leviathan. The sea monster. This has been troubling mariners for millennia. Because Leviathan will never face to face you with problems. He will swim around and around and around the outskirts to get everybody in a spin. Everybody in a spin. Everybody in a spin. A whirlwind and a whirlpool of contention around the edges. Who was Yahusha concerned about? Those closest to him? Or was he looking out at the Pharisees and the Sadducees who tried to get the people in a spin because they were around the edges on the outskirts looking in. Could never hook in the mitzvot. Could never make a covenant. They were on the outside looking in. Always trying to rally a stream of their own agenda. And try to use avenues of influence to benefit themselves. They'll find the ones with influence. And they'll gravitate right towards them. Because that's what Leviathan does. And of course, Leviathan will never face to face you with a head-on confrontation. 
It's against his very nature. At the height of Europe's seafaring age, Leviathan was every sailor's nightmare. That's where Moby Dick and sirens and sea serpents of maritime maps all come from. A huge, monstrous sea serpent that, according to maritime legend, would devour whole ships. Not by butting them head on, never, no, but by swimming around the vessels so quickly as to put them in a spin, a whirlpool. That's what the spirit of Leviathan does makes a whole much ado about nothing. Whole much ado about nothing. Leviathan looks to circle around the congregation's edges, around the edges of your relationships and fellowships to try and put you in a spin and sink your opportunities. Have you ever found that in your life? People that just try to put you in a spin and sink your opportunities. Remember Messiah and the multitudes? The same thing. It's just so twisted. Isaiah tells us in the 27th chapter, in verse 1, in that day, Yahweh, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the swift serpent, and Leviathan, the crooked serpent, and he will slay the monster that is in the sea. Now, Christian commentators suppose Leviathan was, in fact, the Nile crocodile. Now, from our text in Ezekiel, breathing fire and multiple heads is kind of problematic to that conclusion. But using the Nile crocodile from our text in Ezekiel as an analogy does fit. The Nile crocodile tries to latch onto something and twists its prey down by sticking them in the Nile where all the mud is. So what does the Ruach of Leviathan do? The same thing. It will try, on, try to latch onto something. A negative word. An offense. A slight. It will literally latch onto that. It will not let go of it, no matter what. You're, no, I didn't mean that. Oh, I'm so, no, no, that's totally not what I meant. But it's done. You will not be able to change their mind. They have latched onto that negative word. Whatever it is, whatever it is, that hurt, that slight, that wound, and then they will twist it. Literally twist it and then try to pull you down in the mud with them. They will. Don't go there. Don't go there. But that is the methodology of Leviathan. I've literally seen it at work so many times, not only in my life, but other people's lives, and especially other ministers that have shared their testimonies with me. And especially those people that are contending for the faith in their families, generationally, maybe a husband and a wife, one's a believer, it's usually the wife's a believer and the husband's not, because men are lame when it comes to the faith in a majority of instances, not all of you guys, but over the years when I've looked out, how come I always see a majority female audience? Because men are not doing their job as leaders in their houses and women are more spiritually mature. 
And it's usually the men that are always dragging their heels because they want to go and do worldly things on the Sabbath specifically, right? Playing sports and things like that. The pressures of the world, the appetizers of the world are more important often to men than they are to women who have that innate spiritual sense within them. Just saying, it's, not, it's a bit of a generalization, but that's my observation um, over the years. Where was I? I'm just rambling, aren't I? I apologize. I do get off on a tangent. But the Ruach of Leviathan, like I was saying, that's what I was saying, will latch onto something negative, a negative, a negative word, a hurt, a slight, an offense, and it will twist it and then try and twist you into that whirlpool to stick you in the mud with them. Don't go down into the mud. It's just not worth it. Psalm 74, verse 14. Thou breakest the heads. That means they're multiple heads. That's kind of two-faced. Multiple heads of Leviathan in pieces. Thou gavest him to be food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Leviathan's head is divided, according to legend, into streaks of green and purple because Leviathan is often, excuse me, envious. You know that green-eyed devil? Envy. Envious. Wants what you have. Kind of like Miriam. You know, remember Miriam and Aaron's... Well, why why should... What's your calling? Walk in it. Don't covet somebody else's. Just walk in your calling. And don't ever try and build on another man's foundation. It won't end up well for you. But we see these things happening again and again. You are all called. You are all called. Find out what it is and then live it. But you have to do what you're called to do because it's not going to be what he's called to do. And I'm certainly not called what you're called to do, Pastor. Right? Very clearly. So we do what we're called to do. But I'm not going to covet your calling. I can't do it. Does that make sense? This is what we're talking about, Psalm 74, verse 14. Double-minded, that means divided. Remember what Elijah's charge was? How long will you betwixt between two opinions? If Yahweh is master, then serve him. Or if Baal, but you cannot be hopping between two opinions. You just can't. You're either fully on or you're fully off. There is no middle ground. It's black or it's white, otherwise he'll spew you out. How long will you falter between two opinions? If Yahweh is Elohim, follow him. But if the Lord, follow him. But the people answered, the Lord's prophets are 450 men. How come you're the only ones doing this? There's 450,000 people that are doing that. How come you're the only? What about the church fathers? They said that we were supposed to do this. Well, what about the messianics? They say we're supposed to be dressing up like this. What about Judaism? They say we're supposed to be denying the Messiah. Whatever your version of the broad road is, right? Leviathan wants to suck your time and distract you from your calling with whatever negativity they've latched onto. 
But we can't have that. Time is short. And their laborers are few. And the work is huge. Gather. Gather with Yahweh. Not unto yourself. That's a difference. Unto Yahweh. Our calling. We have been called, all of us, by Yahweh to teach the priesthood. The book of the covenant reality of Torah to all. But Leviathan seeks to twist and devour the one new man. By fragmenting him away from the source of the river. We don't want that. Don't let Leviathan devour your calling. Jonah was called to appeal to non-Israelite Assyrians. They weren't even Israelites. But Jonah was called to go and appeal to them. And their righteousness was that they would repent. Now, according to Midrash Perke de Rabbi Eliezer, now I, people will be like, oh, he mentioned the rabbis. They'll, they'll latch onto that negative word. You see it. He, oh, he's gone with the rabbi. No, I only mention the rabbis when it actually behooves me, okay? I've told you that for years. But anyway, Midrash Perke de Rabbi Eliezer says that the whole whale, according to tradition, that swallowed Jonah, narrowly avoided being eaten by the Leviathan, which according to legend, ate one whole whale a day. Leviathan is in essence a symbol. That's why Yahweh is spending so much time. A symbol of mankind in opposition to mankind and in opposition to to Yahweh, an enemy of order who wars against Yahweh's anointed. That's what it is. Wars against the priesthood. Remember, there's commandments between man and man and commandments between man and Yahweh. Leviathan can't make covenant with man and he can't make covenant here, but he will never face to face will always go round and round and spin and latch on to negative words and stick people down in the mud. This is not the way for the righteous saints to walk. Be warned in these last days because the emails that I receive from people that are contending in the faith, in congregations all over the nations and in their families, we find these often disputes of people with people and it all could have been resolved if people would sit down panaim el panaim face to face but that takes integrity and integrity lacks when there is no covenant leviathan lives in the realm of non-covenant and non-confrontation. Psalm 102, verse 24. A telltale sign of Leviathan is that Leviathan doesn't cease from playing games with people. Leviathan will even play sports, like I said on Shabbat, and then show up at your fellowship, or better still, branch away down another stream of fellowship. O Yahuwah, how manifold are thy works in wisdom? Hast thou made them all? The earth, it's full of thy riches. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, wherein are things creeping and innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships, and there is Leviathan, whom thou hast formed to play 
therein. You just can't hook the mitzvah in of ceasing on the day of rest. Leviathan will always break the Torah to do sport, to play with the assemblies, to play with people's emotion, ministry, and calling. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces. Thou givest him to be food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Psalm 74, verse 14. Now, in the ancient Ugaric text, which was a northwest Semitic language from the coastal city of Ugarit in, in Syria, Leviathan was recorded to have seven heads, a seven-headed serpent. And of course, that went on now to come up in Greek mythology with the many-headed hydra who was killed by, of course, Hercules. This comes from the scriptural record of Leviathan. You see, Yahweh's word is true, and every man is a liar. But then, as Yahweh's word goes out to the nations, it becomes corrupt. Even in Chinese, in the Chinese language, and even using their um, the way of their, of their writing, there's a description of you know an ark and a flood and and people going into an ark. But by the time it gets into the other cultures, it becomes totally corrupted. The the chakras that, for instance, that you see in um, um, Near Eastern um, religions, people will tell them, oh, the chakras, and you'll see all this chakra energy. Well, where does that even come from? Well, it actually comes from the golden pipes of the showbread within the tabernacle. That's the truth. There's, I think, 21 golden pipes. I think it's 21. Uh, 21 golden pipes on which the showbread was placed, which would be cooled. Now, those pipes, of course, were energy channels, which were to cool the bread. The bread, of course, is a symbol of the body of man. That gets exported out to the nations, to the chakra points. But it's all corrupted by the time it gets to the na- nations. And people, you start talking about yoga and, and chakras, and you're like, oh, you're from the devil. But the reality is, take it back. In its truth, origin, it will always go back to the Bible. Always. In case in point, Leviathan and the seven-headed um, Hydra, and of course Hercules from the scriptural record of Leviathan, we find that um, the seven-headed Hydra was killed by Hercules, and even where I come from, the, you know, the legend of St. George and the dragon, well, that comes from Leviathan too. It's pretty amazing stuff. Proverbs 6, verse 16 says this. There are six things, six heads, six heads which Yahweh hateth. Hateth, yes, even seven, right? Leviathan will always do this, you see. Seven, which are an abomination unto him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked purposes. Feet that are swift into running to mischief. A false witness that uttereth lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Remember, wherever there's lies, there's going to be some truth in amongst the lies. Guaranteed. The stuff that you'll find, there's going to be some truth in it. But it's always going to be amongst a majority of lies. And then you'll find what? That's where the discord is sown. And that's where the people will land. You don't want to be there. If you're there, you're in the mud already. You already got put in the mud. Now you've got to do one thing. Repent. 
That's the only option. Otherwise, you'll stay in the mud and it will get cloudier and cloudier and cloudier as the silt builds up in your eyes and you'll lose the prophetic vision. And you'll go, what happened? Once upon a time, things were good and now I'm here. How did that happen? It happens fast, especially in the end of days. The seven heads of Hydra, the seven heads of Leviathan, and the seven things that Yahweh hates. One that sows discord amongst the brethren. Leviathan is a spineless creature that will feign a respectful role before you, but behind your back was never really a respecter. Too proud of flesh, always up to mischief, a saboteur in the shadows, playing the leading role in his own drama. And a lot of this stuff that you're contending with, it's a bunch of drama. Thankfully, we don't have time for that. I mean, I look at my work in 16-hour days. I mean, that's just the reality of my life. I, I, don't, I don't have time for it. People will be like, have you watched this? Have you heard that? I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I got, I, I, no. I literally get up. I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer. I'm in meditation. I get some breakfast. I'm at the gym. I'm at work. I'm working. I come home. I eat. I disciple my children. I read the word to my children. I pray with my children. And I go to bed with my children. And my wife's like, what about me? And I'm like, honey, I got to get up at 5.30. I go to bed with the children. I don't have time. And if you're about the father's business, you shouldn't have time either. We shouldn't have time for drama, right? Really, Leviathan loves the drama because he's a leading role in his own drama. Always the leading role is what the Ruach of Leviathan seeks at the cost of sowing discord amongst the brethren, playing with your calling, playing with your ministry opportunities, and of course, playing and contending on Shabbat. Don't kindle a fire on Sabbath. Don't kindle a fire on Sabbath. Not here. Not at your home. I had to confess to my wife and son today as I'm packing and I'm all getting just frustrated. I'm like, I just got to chill. I'm kindling a fire. It's the Sabbath. We should just put a sign up on the door, don't you think? We've gone fishing for Leviathan. You will find no quarter here. I think that would be a great, great way to finish, in fact, actually. But this is, people have come to me and said, well, what is all this about Leviathan, a bunch of fish stuff in the Bible? Well, I think there is a spiritual application for it. This fourth scroll was only 17 verses, but there's much for us to learn from it. Because in scroll four, we have found many prophetic warnings and principles of truth that are rolling forward into our day as Ezekiel is sounding the alarm about our present world stage. Personally, I've got my eyes on NATO. I don't know if it'll last five years. I don't know. I I think the Donald wants to definitely get rid of it. I mean, he's like, forget this. Why are we funding up 90% of it when the Germans are double dealing with the Russians, which NATO was set up to defend? So we're paying all this. 
it makes no sense. Just from a business point of view, you're like, give me a break. You can't be double dealing with the enemy, right? Which is basically NATO's enemy, when really you're dependent because the Russians invaded Germany. That's the reality of it. They never left. You're having to go to them for your energy source. You can't survive without their gas and oil. And you're paying them billions of euros for it. And then saying, oh, well, we're a part of NATO. It's crazy land thinking, if you know the history, which I do. So in scroll four, Ezekiel was sounding the alarm. Today, yes, I'm looking to NATO. I know there was no NATO in the time of Ezekiel, but there were military alliances that were crumbling in his very midst. Watch as you see the nations clamor together to force and forge their alliances and try to hedge their bets with the globalists, even as a few nationalist leaders step out boldly in the other direction. We've got people that are challenging NATO, nationalists, challenging Brexit, even Theresa May. She's compromised on Brexit. The people voted for it, and now you're all backpedaling because you're scared of the globalists. Boris is calling them out. Trump's, he was over there this week calling them out. You've soft-pedaling Brexit. The people, what, the people voted for it. And you're not implementing it. The people voted for Trump, whether you like him or not. The deplorables, as Hillary says. But now you're trying to soft pedal, back pedal. Oh, well, it was the Russians. It was a Russian. No, it wasn't. It's, it's nuts to me. And we still haven't found those emails, have we? We still haven't found those emails. What happened to that? But on a personal and spiritual note, be ever mindful of who you let play in your vicinage. Be ever mindful. And be quick to identify and to eradicate Leviathan from your personage. And if you need any tips, I have muku buku experience. Okay? I can help you. Because you have got to contend with your faith. You've got to stay in the battle. And you've got to stay inspired and Pure in thought. That's why Yahushua said, pray for your enemies and those that would use and spitefully abuse you. Because a curse, when it comes on you and you pray for those, it's got nowhere to go. And that's how I live. And at first, you know, it might be a short prayer. You know? Wrath come down. But then eventually, you know, you're like, you know, you've got, you have to have compassion. And eventually you, you can really pray. And then the Father gives you a whole new heart and you're free. Free to go on and pursue the great things that the Father has. Because you're no longer stuck in the mud. Don't get in the mud. That's what Yahweh was saying. Because time is short. And we need your help. Those of us that are in the fight for our lives, for the kingdom of Yahweh, it's an exciting time, but it will never end well for Leviathan. Leaving the Nile without the blessing, only a bone, a bone of contention that becomes a weight of adversity in an adverse world, at odd with believers, even Green Street jealous believers. Why would you do that? It's hard enough out there. 
Why would you do that to yourself? We don't want that, do we? We don't want that. Much to learn in 17 verses as Yahuwah testifies into our present day, both nationally and personally. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your awesome, great word. We thank you, Abba, for the word that you spoke through the prophet. The Father, that we would truly have eyes to see, ears to hear. Oh, Father, we thank you. I truly give you the blessing, and I thank you, Abba, for each and every saint here today. I asked, Father, and I prayed as I came here today, that you would give me something to encourage me. And as I look out today, I am so encouraged. And I am moved by all of you here and your support and kindness. And thank you, Father, for being true. And thank you all for encouraging me in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, really. really touched me.